Hi, everyone. Uh, I think we've got most people here. Um, so I think we might as well sort of kick off. Uh, so um, I'm Peter Tripe, and I'll be chairing this afternoon session on EV is dead, long live uh, EV. Um, I've got a panel over here, which I'll introduce in a moment. But uh, I thought, first of all, a little bit of background uh, uh, to this afternoon's sort of topic. So I'm sure everyone is acutely aware that, uh, as from the 1st of July this year, SAM came into effect. And the previous statutory valuation methodology and car capitals requirement, uh, which formed, well, was the prescribed component of our current embedded value reporting framework under APN 107. That SVM methodology has effectively fallen away. It's died. Uh, so it obviously leads to the obvious question, what does that mean for EV, given it's a core component? Uh, does EV also die? Or is it like royalty uh, that it just hands the baton on to its successor? And then, if so, what does its successor look like? Um, so uh, the Actuarial Society and specifically the Life Assurance Committee has uh, uh, not been sitting idly by as this date has been approaching. And for uh, it's a good part of 18 months or almost of two years had, uh, that the APN 107 subcommittee of the LAC has been working on amendments to APN 107. I'm sure many of you would have seen a draft version of the standard came out earlier this year, around about March, April, uh, for a comment from the profession. Uh, those comments have been absorbed, and literally last week, the final updated version of the practice note was approved by the Professional Matters Board. And assuming there isn't a massive riot or anything that happens uh, this week, we hope it will be ratified at Council next week, uh, and then become effective at the end of this year. So the timing of the convention this year is absolutely perfect. Uh, in terms of bringing a session like this to go through some of the key changes that are, are, are part of the practice note, uh, and also a bit of a discussion about those changes. Because unlike uh, you know, some of the changes that have been made in the past, it's not like a case of just replacing one valuation and capital framework with another. Uh, the updated practice note opens the door to produ uh, producers of embedded value reporting to use a value, value metric that they feel is most appropriate. Uh, so there are a number of factors to sort of take into account uh, in, in what route you're going to sort of go uh, when uh, you know, updating for, for the new practice note. Um, and then once we've submitted sort of down for, for Sam, obviously another sort of question on most people's minds is we've got IFRS 17 coming down the tracks. So even if EV might dodge a bullet this time around, um, you know, with the implementation of IFRS 17 in a couple of years, you know, with its perspective from a shareholder perspective, uh, what do we think of the future of EV uh, post IFRS 17? And we also sort of cover uh, some considerations around that. Uh, so to address uh, uh, some of these uh, sort of meaty questions, I've got uh, a panel here with a, a diverse range of perspectives of embedded value reporting. So like good actuaries, uh, they're all actually quite well practiced in wearing different hats, different roles within their organizations and within the profession. Uh, but this afternoon, the hats the, that I'm looking to they actually range from the theoretical 
uh, sort of standard setter you know, through to representatives of the users that the investors actually use embedded value reporting. So without further ado, I'll introduce our orchestra. So uh, as I mentioned myself, I'll be conducting them. Um, Peter Tripe, I'm currently Deputy Chairman of the Life Assurance Committee and been doing embedded value reporting for about 20 years. Uh, next up, we've got our thinker, uh, the theoretician, Gert van den Berg. Uh, Gert has been Chairman of the APN 107 Committee for longer than I can remember. Um, and uh, he's uh, had senior roles at Sunlum for even longer than that. Uh, so he's probably the mastermind behind a lot of these changes, so blame him. Uh, next up, we have a uh, representative of the DUA community. We've got Rian van Rienen, who uh, is responsible for first-line actuarial reporting at Discovery Life. Uh, so Rian has a lot of experience interpreting standards uh, and getting the numbers out and engaging with uh, the users of those numbers. And Rian has, also, has been at Discovery for close to 20 years, I think. Uh, moving on, um, in, in the food chain of financial reporting, we've got a, a Vivek uh, Moodley, who is currently an Associate Director at Deloitte, but until recently was a CFO at Metropolitan Life, a subsidiary of MMI. And uh, from his perspective that I want to pick his brain is as a receiver of the numbers, and having to package and present to the market, you know, what are some of his perspectives. And then certainly last, but definitely not least, uh, clients are always right, so that's why I've got the halo there. Uh, we've got a representative of the investor community, Musamul Luantla, is an investment analyst with Standard Bank uh, Securities, covering the insurance sector. Uh, and uh, before that, he was a credit risk analyst at ABSA and FNB. Uh, and he also has a fearsome academic uh, reputation. Um, but obviously there were some, some delays in terms of you know, when, when the same go live date, actually um, the final same go live date. But um, so in terms of uh, the key changes, hmm? well, oh. um, so in terms of the key changes, obviously uh, a lot of the, uh, the changes to the, the practice note was driven by the, 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 the introduction of SAM and then uh, the, uh, the SVM valuation that fell away. Um, and I'll deal with this in more detail in the next couple of slides. Obviously, um, there were also some related aspects uh, that we, we had to address the um, contact boundary concepts which wasn't really part of the embedded value guidance before, uh, as well as um, a, um, uh, the concept of the, using the, the same risk margin as a, as a cost of capital. Uh, together with that, we, we also had a, a sort of a long list of to-do, smaller items that, that came through as, as comments uh, from previous rounds that we addressed, and I'll just briefly touch on those uh, at the end. So. Um, so what are the key changes? So first of all, we've, um, the, 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 the guidance, the previous old guidance note had, had a, a paragraph that explicitly referred to the SVM method. Um, and we've deleted that entire paragraph and replaced it with a new paragraph um, that sort of acknowledges that um, although the regulatory uh, liability metrics have been the norm, uh, this is no longer a requirement in terms of the embedded value calculation and other me methods may also be used. Um, then, 
Similarly, we also also removed references to statutory and, and, and replaced it with more generic terms like uh, policy reserves and so on. Uh, and then finally, we also dealt with the fact that uh, the cross-border work or, or embedded values calculated in other territories might not actually be based on the SDM. So it's much more generic. Uh, it allows more scope uh, in terms of the liability metric. However, together with that, uh, we've also um, uh, replaced the, 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 the required capital definition. So previously it was based on car, and that uh, inevitably uh, led to, to a, some kind of multiple of car being used. Um, that, uh, in that equivalent paragraph in the new practice note, we've, uh, we've removed the references to car uh, and rather focused on meeting objectives. Um, so whilst this has sort of been always been the intention of the, the guidance note to, to consider other dimensions, this, this hasn't been that, that explicit in previous versions. So we've, we've actually added um, more explicitly you know, consideration of all uh, dimensions, including your regulatory solvency position. Um, so that would, be, that would include things like liquidity and, and IFRS equity. The, um, again, we, 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 we had to just um, emphasize the fact that although you, you can consider all of these multiple dimensions, it will always be, um, uh, there is a reminder that, that um, you always have to allow for at least meeting the minimum solvency requirements. Um, and then finally, um, given that we've allowed more, more flexibility in terms of the liability metric, and, and the capital framework, it's important that these two actually have to be aligned. So um, your, your choice of liability metric will have to be aligned with your choice of capital metric. Um, so in terms of the contract boundaries, now this is something that, like I said earlier, wasn't really in, in, uh, explicitly in, in the previous versions of the guidance notes, but but with the introduction of Solvency 2 and SAM, and now IFRS 17, the, the, the uh, contract boundary concept has really um, been formalized, and um, we, we specifically deal with the differences between the definition of contract boundaries under those frameworks like IFRS and SAM, and, and embedded values where the focus is more on, on economic value. Um, We've also, um, the, uh, a, a, this was a key topic of discussion in, 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 in drafting the note. Um, uh, it was whether, whether the SAM risk margin could be used as a cost of capital. Now, the committee said that it could be. Uh, however, there are many, many other factors to consider um, if, if you want to make it work. So, so uh, if, if you really want to, 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 to consider using the, the SAM risk margin as a cost of capital, you need to consider a number of things around, uh, for example, the, the, the risk margin um, uh, percentage uh, and, and contract boundaries. Um, then lastly, just in terms of the sort of the smaller items, We've made some changes in terms of the, the uh, value of your business definition uh, and whether you, you can use opening or closing assumptions. We found that some companies are using opening assumptions for, for uh, management information purposes 
Uh, so we've allowed so, sort of more flexibility there, but uh, added some disclosure requirements to get uh, to get the consistency again between the reported results. Uh, one specific area that I think the previous versions uh, did not really address was the uh, smaller companies or startup companies that might not uh, have actually achieved sufficient scale. So we've allowed for um, uh, some some allowance in, in your unit costs and and and. Um, also for minimum capital requirements that might be uh, rather large for a startup business. Uh, we've also addressed intangibles, which is quite an important concept. Uh, with the freedom around the liability metric and the capital metric, your, um, uh, the, 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 the key is to actually model or to project how um, cash flows will become available to shareholders. So, so intangibles is a very important uh, consideration in all of that. Of course, like previous version, versions of the, the note, uh, MCEV is also uh, allowed for, and there's a, a company note uh, that sets out sort of the key factors to consider for, from a South African expect, uh, um, perspective when, when following the MCEV principles. Lastly, we, we also made some changes to the disclosure requirements. We've added uh, sort of a paragraph to encourage the sign-off by directors, um, and also, also I made some changes in the, the disclosures around sensitivity, specifically to allow companies to distinguish between the impact on the, the uh, adjusted net worth and the, the VIF, which um, many companies have combined in the past, uh, mostly due to computational challenges. So those are the, the main changes or the key changes in the, the revised notes. Hopefully it will be uh, approved next week and then um, will be effective from the end of this year. So Margaret Ann, back to you. Thanks, Gert. Um, I thought maybe before we get on to the, the panel's question, uh, it might just be useful to illustrate um, an example of where, um, you know, some of the issues, you know, if one moves to a SAM uh, sort of framework, uh, you know, so can, can give issues, uh, and then also, um, you know, one of the, the, the points that sort of comes out from opening the door to, you know, uh, allowing for, well, ensuring that you, you consider the, you know, mul you know, all of the constraints on your required capital of the company. Um, so, uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll step through this in a little bit of detail just to, to explain it. So, starting from the left, uh, we've got under the current uh, SVM sort of basis, we've got a, a, an example company. It's got a whole bunch of tangible assets. Uh, sitting over here. Uh, it's also got, uh, as it's called, best estimate, uh, best estimate liabilities, which are positive, and it's got various compulsory and discretionary margins uh, adding up here. And of course, in the current ED basis, those margins are going to get released as part of your BIF. Uh, then sitting on top of it, you've got some kind of required capital, which is typically driven uh, from a car perspective, some multiple of car typically. And off that, you've got some cost of capital uh, as a deduction, and then you've got some free surplus. Um, so now, uh, if we consider that same sort of company on a SAM sort of basis, um, it's also got best estimate liabilities. They may or may not be, uh, you know, the same. They're probably sort of similar, um, you know, to the underlying best uh, best estimates on SVM. There are a number of differences, but. Uh, that's not the main point. Then, so sitting on top of that, you've got a risk margin, 
uh, and you might also have a required capital that's a function of SCR. You know, and in this example, it's actually very similar to SVM, uh, and, and you might be, be quite comfortable, you know, to using your SAM sort of basis uh, as the basis, you know, for your embedded value reporting. I mean, some of the Im uh, implications might be your VIF, uh, you know, to the extent that you know risk margins, you know, are, are substantially less than the margins you have on your current basis. Yes, that might sort of go down, but fundamentally, it's a sort of a shifting of between buckets uh, within your within your embedded value. Uh, but where things get a little bit more interesting is where you have, for example, a company like this, which has uh, overall uh, fundamentally uh, sort of negative liabilities, um, with uh, and then even uh, once you sort of add the risk margin and some multiple of SCR, uh, you're still ending up, uh, you know, with a negative. Uh, and then it sort of, you know, sort of raises sort of questions around, oh, well, what does that mean? Does that mean, um, you know, with free surplus going all the way down to zero or even some negative, can I actually pay everything out? Uh, what does it mean to actually then pay out some sort of negative assets? Uh, and then other considerations start coming into play. It's like, you know, would uh, even if the actuaries were comfortable sort of paying that down, um, you know, would you be comfortable as a company, you know, not having any sort of tangible assets, liquidity considerations, dividend cover, all become, you know, sort of considerations and factors. And the fact is, all of those considerations were already in APN 107 previously. There was a requirement to consider these things, but uh, because uh, the, the, the liability and capital framework tended to be, you know, relatively prudent, and that's sort of tended to dominate uh, the situation, I don't think most people really sort of went through that sort of exercise of considering other uh, constraints on your required capital. Uh, and the purpose of the standard now is actually really sort of bringing that point out because it's, it's much more likely to occur for companies now. Um, you know, so in this particular example, uh, again, I've sort of considered, um, you, know, you know, this company, you know, this might be their SAM uh, sort of basis. But then uh, their the, the RFRS current uh, reporting sort of basis, they might choose to uh, have best estimate liabilities and then top up or zero-wise uh, those negatives up to sort of zero. Uh, and there you can sort of see, and then in addition have other sort of internal objectives around you know, minimum levels of liquidity and dividends of cover. So for a company like this, it needs to actually consider both the regulatory framework, but also uh, its RFRS uh, in sort of framework in working out what is the true amount of required capital that is being subtracted, and that's really you know, at the heart of you know what this what the standard is requiring. Um, okay, um, so so now I'll sort of move on to you know, to um, uh, to the panel uh, to lob them some sort of questions, and maybe just to sort of start off with uh, sort of um, you know what do you see. Uh, you know, so uh, uh, as being the likely sort of frameworks, uh, you know, obviously you've got a whole range of sort of options that companies can sort of take. Uh, do you see uh, certain frameworks as being more likely uh, uh, than others to come out? And, and what are the pros and cons of some of those different frameworks? Um, uh, that's an interesting question. I think I think it. Um, my view is it, it depends on the type of organization. So, um, of course, and, uh, it's something that came out in, in my presentation as well as the, the issue of contract boundaries. So, so businesses with 
um, lots of short contract boundaries, zero contract boundary business where uh, the same basis would, would actually no, place no value on the business. Would, would obviously, uh, that would be a con um, and would most likely uh, look at something more like an I4S basis. Similarly, uh, another advantage of I4S is that um, it's, it's also consistently applied within South Africa um, internationally, so we have subsidiaries outside of South Africa that might actually not be on the same basis. Um, that, that, that is a consideration as well, especially when you want to report consolidated uh, results. However, I don't. I think for some other organisations uh, that are maybe only writing in, you know, uh, long contract boundary risk business, the same basis might actually be uh, um, something that um, that has a number of advantages. You, um, they don't have the the issues around sort of the business with no value being placed on it um, and, and, and might might use a, a SAM basis or adjusted SAM basis. Um, in terms of IPRI 17 and whether what that impact is, we, we can probably cover it later, but I mean that uh, whether we'll, we'll, we'll still be able to, to use IPRI 17 uh, depending on where, where the, the standard lands and interpretations land. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and Rian, I mean, from a practitioner's uh, sort of perspective? Yes, uh, I think I agree with, um, I mean, all Herd's observations. Um, I think the another way to think of a constraint is really to almost consider a distributable cash flow type of model. So, I mean, that's, that I think almost captures um, your capital requirements, it captures your, your liability basis, but also brings in uh, for real liquidity type of considerations to to consider what and when do you expect your cash flows to be available to distribute to to shareholders. Um, so that that's a basis that I that I think might be might be likely. Um, also, another approach might be to consider what's happened in the EU and the UK. Um, Solvency two has um, been implemented at the beginning of 2016. Uh, so we've had really a two and a half years head start uh, compared to the introduction of SAM. Um, and I think what we've seen there is a lot of uh, large insurers have stopped reporting um, on MCV basis altogether. So roughly half of the largest uh, European insurers have, have stopped um, PA um, MCV reporting. I mean, they've adopted various other, other methods. Um, for example, some of them only report on a MCV type of basis for new business, but in general there's a fairly strong alignment uh, moving towards Solvency 2 as the, as the liability basis. Um, so it's, yeah, it remains to be seen if that's a similar trend that, that could spill over here. Um, I think it's unlikely that we will see a large spread um, discontinuation of, of EV reporting in the near future, but um, that remains to be seen. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, so with the freedom to sort of consider different uh, sort of bases, you know, depending on the nature of the company, um, you know, obviously that reduces the consistency and potential comparability reporting. So, Musa, you know, from from your perspective, um, what do you think of uh, some of these developments? Um, yeah, so I mean, before I, I, I touch on that, just uh, an additional point on what um, can we just talk in what uh, what Rian was saying is um, 
what what we've seen is that I mean, so so just to give a more color on what the investor base or the analyst base looks like in South Africa, you have uh, I, would, I would say about all of the clients we service, maybe about thirty percent, maybe forty at best, being actuaries. So they are more technical. They sort of scrutinize EV and, and so on. Um, now, in the international side, I think it's it's more so. So now touching on what's happening in Europe, yeah. EV doesn't seem to be as as important a, me- a metric. So no one values the company using, for example, price to EV and, and so on. It's more price to earnings. Now, in that regard, that's why I think uh, a market like the European one would be more ready to sort of dispel with uh, with the use of EV. Um, but now, then touching on um, the, the point about about uh, consistency. Uh, there, I think you have to maybe understand what we use EV for. It's mainly for two purposes. One is sort of to appraise the company, right? And uh, but the other is also to sort of. I know we'll touch on IFRS 17 later, but there's generally a, 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 wide, a wide sort of difference in how the, the different companies disclose their earnings. So to sort of get a more consistent way of com- comparing the, 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 the companies, we would look at, for example, the, the NAV, the adjusted net worth column of the, of the EV, because that gives a comparable, we, we know that, you know, what, what we call statutory earnings. Now, that's really where the, the, cons- the need for consistency comes in, is that we need to, to have some sort of basis for, for comparing ag- across the companies, mm-hmm. and also in, in principle comparing the, the valuations, right? So if we look at the, 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 the EV for one company, um, what markdowns do you have, do we have to make for some of these sort of technical choices mm-hmm. to get to a more comparable? So in the ideal world, you would have the same base, so we don't have to sort of have the headache of having to adjust for these things, especially considering the fact that the analyst community is not made of actuaries, right? So I think that's the, yeah. that's the, it's really the need for as much consistency across the, yeah. the, the South African market and over time as well. Yeah. So maybe just continuing on the consistency, but also sort of linking it to the, the comments. I don't know if you heard Brian there saying, you're sort of expecting probably, you know, not too much sort of change from existing sort of EVs and approaches. Vivek, um, uh, I mean, from from your perspective, just commenting on uh, on Ryan's uh, sort of comment, uh, do uh, are you expecting to sort of see fundamentals sort of change uh, in in approaches uh, ac- across the market? So, from from my perspective, I don't see massive change. And I'm just coming on Musa's point. I mean, the the investment community is not full of actually. So, even the executive teams themselves have got accountants and and are not actually on those teams. And so seeing a major change in basis and a major change of reflection of EV, there's no appetite for that, especially with the change from SAM, if it's 17 coming in three years from now. So I see things remaining largely the same, largely simplistic. Um, and again, coming back to the whole theoretical conversation, economic value is not going to change. And so to go through a lot of effort of changing your liability basis and capital basis, just for disclosure requirements doesn't make sense to me. But, uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I mean, you're talking about the effort, you know, as a part of the equation, and so sort of thinking, you know, so sort of cost benefit of any sort of changes. Um, so, Rian, maybe on practicalities, uh, sort of side of things, you know, if, um, you know, how, how much work or sort of effort uh, do we think there, there might be if you make wholesale sort of changes? Um, and even if you aren't fundamentally, you know, sort of changing the framework, um, you know, just you know, adding those additional layers of consideration of the other dimensions, other other sort of constraints. You know, might that uh, be a material amount of extra work? 
Uh, yes, from a practical point of view, again, it depends probably from organization to organization and how much changes are, are really involved moving from the current basis to a new basis. Um, but I, I think there we, we could be a number of quite material, practical um, just considerations and complexities in the, in the short term to move, to move to the basis. I mean, I'll give you one a couple of examples maybe. Um, so your new business reporting, I mean, that's been also flagged in, in the European reporting as one of the challenges. Uh, so your capital allocation becomes uh, one of your, your key assumptions. How do you allocate capital to existing compared to new business? It could be uh, proportional compared to on an incremental basis, which, which could give you different um, results. Um, also, some of the things that, um, that we have encountered is in the approach to do your um, analysis of change in embedded value from one period to the next, I think that becomes computationally quite challenging potentially. I mean, if it involves a lot of step runs, those step runs now become a lot more complex compared to what they used to be. You have to take your um, change in your capital and your cost of capital into account in, in each one of your, in your step runs. Um, so again, the capital allocation becomes a, becomes a key assumption on how you allocate changes in capital between, between different runs and different blocks of business. Um, a consideration to the adjustment, adjustment for intangibles, I think we've mentioned um, that in some of the uh, considerations before. Uh, so negative reserves, for example, how do you uh, take that into cash flow and how does that impact your distributable cash flows um, and your liquidity requirements. Uh, another potential key consideration and also specifically for South Africa is a potential change in the tax basis. Um, again, it's different for different companies, uh, but your uh, SAM basis may not necessarily align with your tax basis depending on your business and your mix of business. Uh, so it becomes a question of how to adjust for it and the materiality thereof. Uh, so we've experienced some of these changes um, when we moved uh, for our UK life business that moved to a uh, Solvency II reporting about two and a half years ago. And I mean, these were quite, quite material considerations to, to think through. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, so continuing on you know, sort of some of the considerations, you know, uh, that you you know, of different sort of frameworks. Um, you know, so I think we've largely sort of looked at, you know, you know, looking at a SAM um, or like, you know, sticking with an IFRS uh, sort of type as a framework. Uh, implicit in that, you know, that IFRS sort of approach is, is that it happens to be the same as your current EV or in other words, the same as your, S your current uh, SVM basis. Uh, but that's not always the case. Um, um, so, Gert, you know, what does that potentially sort of mean, um, you know, for a company which is currently has, you know, sort of different bases there, um, uh, do, yeah, you know, do we sort of create something uh, separate uh, to address that? And, you know, what's the, you know, what sort of rationale do we have for that? Yeah, I, it's a, quite a difficult question to, to answer. Um, I think um, it depends on the organization. So, so um, the, the fact is you're presenting a, an alternative balance sheet, an income statement, to, to the, the users of the accounts. Um, and it, it will be important, um, in my view, I think a key requirement is to, to enable 
users of the accounts to navigate between your EV results and your IFRS results and your SAM results. So um, th there might be, uh, I think, some organizations that, that might decide to, to adjust um, uh, for, for some of those differences. But ultimately, um, it I think it depends also on how you manage the business. So if management actually believes in the, the way that they're currently doing things, and that's the way that uh, they're managing the business, I think you'll get pushback. Um, but if we can, um, um, if you can produce results that are used in decision-making, that, that, uh, that um, will, will also play through in the, the decision. Right, okay. Yeah, so I mean, Vivek, um, I think that sort of aligns with the comment you were making bits of earlier about the use, you know, of this reporting from a management perspective. I mean, do you think, um, yeah, uh, do you, do, you know, from a CFO sort of perspective, do you think there's a particular sort of preference, uh, you know, for, you know, for one of these sort of frameworks? You're sticking to an SVM, you know, sort of kind of approach or RFRS or, or, or SAM as a perspective? So, Peter, I'm going to give you the diplomatic answer, which is it depends. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that the, the insurance companies are quite different. And I think if you've got a product, um, so if you've got an insurance company that's heavily risk focused, then your the way you actually look at the liability and capital framework is it's quite different from an organization that's got lots of savings business. If you've got a large insurer that's got a, a, mixed, a mixture of both, then you've got almost like an internal rebellion between actually we like this part. And the other guy is like, this one, which one do you do? It actually captures both. Yeah. And you actually might end up with a metric that makes both happy, but not completely happy. And you're yeah. going to have deficiencies. Yeah. Yeah. And again, when you get to a bank insurer, for example, where it's heavily risk business, then it's, it's, a, it's a lot more seamless, it's a lot more homogenous in terms of how you teach your capital framework and your um, IFRS framework. Right. Okay. So and then obviously, sorry, and the last point is, I mean, with IFRS 17 coming, we're going to labor this point over and over again today. Is you're going to have to consider what happened between now and IFRS 17 in 2021, um, and the need to make other minor changes to be seamless and consistent with that, or do you actually, for example, accelerate that that piece of work now? <laughs> I think <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a big question. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure there's a lot of appetite to accelerate IFRS yeah. 17, um, but 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 you, you you do talk to a couple of points there. You know, the potential inconsistency or, or sort of gaps in EV. You know. Where so it doesn't cover certain parts of the business. Um, so, so, um, Kat, I, I know you guys have done a lot of work, so, uh, you know, adding to, to the standard. But Musa, as a user of EVs reporting, do you still feel that there are significant uh, sort of gaps uh, in, in the standard or, you know, that reduces the usability or, um, you know, of embedded value reporting? Um, so, I, I guess the. Uh, there are some sort of gaps, right? I would say, but it's it's not specifically related to um, right, to, to the new changes around SAM. So, I mean, so the, in terms of the new changes, what we yeah. we think is that it gives some flexibility to to the insurer, and that's always uh, it's not welcome by the market because it, it creates inconsistencies over time and across insurers, and that's the yeah. point. But speaking to um, you know to different, I mean, I did get a sense from the different companies. Uh, what their thinking is, and it seems as though they are targeting to not have a major sort of step change in, in the in the transition. So, and then that's that's welcome, right? In terms of whether there are other gaps, right? And that's where so I think uh, I mean we were having a debate earlier about it, uh, whether 
the standard needs to now think about having EV for non-covered businesses, right? Which is, I think, a completely different discussion. But I think the point still needs to be made that when we as the market and other investors as well look at EV, the immediate thing that comes to mind is that it's, it's an actuarial concept. It's an actuary that, that, that did the calculation. But the point is that there's no standard prescribing that calculation. And that creates a lot of, I mean, looking at the market at the moment, there's a huge spread between how company A versus company B thinks about non-covered EV valuation, and that creates a huge sort of, um, you know, so, so, so the point is that if we are to think about EV as a final product that the market is, is, is able to use to make a, a decision, by not having a sort of a prescription around some of these things, you are now passing the bug back to, to, the, to the analysts. Yeah. And that sort of distorts the, the entire purpose because they now have to now think about it. But anyway, that's yeah, yeah. probably outside of the... Yeah. Yeah. So, Kat, uh, care to respond? Is this something that we're going to sort of add to the work list for future updates? <laughs> um, it's probably something that will take up with the, the lack. I mean, we, uh, up till now, we, we've really just focused on, on, on mm -hmm. the covered business component. But I, I, I do sense that... Um, I mean, Musa um, is making a very, very important point that uh, as a profession, people are looking at the results and they're thinking actuaries. Uh, but they all, we don't have a standard for 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 valuing non non covered business, and, and you know it might be something that we we need to consider as a profession. Okay. Great. Perfect. Yeah, I want to just jump in on, on Musa's comment. So the new APN is more liberal, if you want to call it. It gives you more flexibility, gives you more choice, but you've got to put more information in your disclosures. That can't be a bad thing. I mean, you're saying, listen, you don't trust management, they're not, they're not going to do, um, they're, going to, they're going to be more liberal with the disclosures and you can't get comparability, for example. But if you're allowed more liberal APN, management can more appropriately capture economic value and that should make your job easier in terms of comparability or, or sort of getting value. Yes, I mean, it's, it's a fair point, but... but I guess there's a, a certain amount of skepticism, as with, I think, any investor, right? It's, yeah. And I think that's the challenge. As long as it's managed in a consistent fashion and there are no sort of massive changes, and that's what uh, the sense we are getting from the different companies is. So to the extent that that's true, then there's no, uh, I think there will be no pushback from, from anyone. Okay, great. Um, I do want to make sure we've got some time to cover the IFRS 17, but I mean, in, in summary, you know, for the SAM related sort of things, uh, I think the general message is, um, you know, AEV is still, you know, fulfilling a useful purpose. Uh, it, uh, it, it may have some gaps, which we may sort of look at some closing, um, but, uh, and then also we're probably not expecting, you know, sort of too much of a fundamental sort of change across the, the, the market, although that awaits to be seen. Um, and, yeah, if we've got time, we can also get back to the question of why that might be different to other jurisdictions. So, you know, just on the IFRS 17, just a quick sort of reminder, you know, um, um, you know, from the original sort of slide, uh, you know, on the, on the current, you know, on your current sort of basis, you've got best estimates, some margins, and some required sort of capital. Um, there, there is sort of a view, you know, under an IFRS 17, uh, you know, you've got a similar best estimate, may or may not be the same, but, you know, probably not a million miles apart. Uh, also, you know, got some margin sitting in there, and then specifically the CSM, um, you know, which is meant to sort of capture uh, the remaining sort of profit uh, on, on business, which is uh, released over the time. 
Um, you know, so there is a potentially a view out there that, oh, well, isn't the CSM uh, your new VIF? Uh, does that actually sort of capture, uh, you know, what embedded value reporting uh, uh, it, it attempts to capture? So, um, Kurt, you're looking at me. I don't know, do you have any particular sort of views on that? Yeah, I mean, um, there are a couple of issues with the current CSM. I think uh, it, it, it is, um, it's a similar concept. Um, there are some issues around sort of the use of locked-in rates, not allowing for all expenses, but those, I think, are challenges that you can overcome. Um, but ultimately, uh, it, it only works for, for insurance contracts. You still sit with the issue around investment contracts. But that aside, it, it, it also doesn't allow for, for company tax or transfer tax. So, best case scenario, you might end up um, having a sort of a light EV calculation on top of your, 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 your IFRS 17 results uh, with some adjustments. Um, but uh, there are a number of uh, other areas that that might might result in some issues or for example reinsurance in the way um, that you know certain interpretations of the the, the the standard actually requires you to allow for future new business on a, a reinsurance to reaches and how to match that back to your your you know direct liabilities um, but uh, so it 's measuring the same thing at it leaves out some components, like the tax, for example, um, but there might be an opportunity to cut back on some of the calculations. Yeah. Okay, Rian, uh, I mean, Kat's given a reasonably sort of comprehensive list of some of the gaps. Uh, I don't know, are there any others uh, out there? And, you know, I mean, what's your view of the likelihood? You know, are you like, expecting to continue to fundamentally produce embedded values of calculations? Um, yes, I've, I mean, my expectation would be that I think most companies will continue continue in South African context at least with the embedded value calculations. Um, I think maybe to add to the IFRS 17 point, <coughs> another point to make is that the IFRS 17 is a measurement um, standard. So that doesn't fundamentally change your cash flow profile of a business. So again, it comes back to the point that depends on your, your business and the... Um, business mix within each different company, um, if you were to target a distributable cash flow type of approach to EV, then IFRS 17 shouldn't impact that at all, um, ignoring potential knock-on impact in terms of, of taxation changing basis. So I think there are two different purposes between um, SAM, which is a directly impact your cash flow profile and your required capital, whereas IFRS 17 is purely a, purely a measurement um, standard. Um, so, if IFRS 17 is significantly different to your cash flow profile, I don't expect that that would form the basis of your of your EV necessarily. I think the distributable cash flow uh, model might be more appropriate in that in that way. Right. Okay. Vivek, um, I mean, from your perspective, we heard all the the, the good things from the actuaries as to why uh, EVs or what are the flaws with IFRS 17 from an EV perspective. Um, you know, from the other sort of side, um, you know, in terms of users of the information, to what extent do you think there's, there, there's a waiting to, to still rely on RFRS, both the existence of RFRS and hence what is the potential sort of increase in appetite to use RFRS going forward? 
So Pity has a couple of questions in there, but uh, so I think the current IFRS, I think it's, it's well embedded in organization. People talk about profits. You know, management understand, staff understand, many stakeholders understand profits. You know, you, you'll see a headline saying company profits are on 10%. You're not going to see a headline saying EVs drop 10%. So from an emotional perspective outside the insurance industry, FRS earnings is very, very embedded in, in the organization. Coming to FRS 17, I think Harold and Riyadh picked up a couple of points. It was initially going to be that silver bullet. I mean, some of the big issues you've already raised makes it sort of like a rusted bullet now. <laughs> You know, it almost makes EV more applicable and more, more valuable. As much as we have deficiencies in EV, IFRS 17 is already showing some, some big holes in it. And when we get to IFRS 17, we might find some additional holes with the practicalities in it. So mm. coming back to the question about is IFRS here to stay, for sure, you know, in its current form. Is EV going to stay in its current form? Maybe not exactly in its current form, but definitely some sort of very similar form, you know, an adjusted EV. But I think the framework and the, the new APN one, what seven, I think it's going to be very relevant going forward. You know, I think the, the, the buzzword is economic value and the extent to what economic value captures it, and I think that largely it captures it um, at the moment. Yeah. Musa, your your take? Yeah. Um, so in terms of uh, how how we see it is uh, from. Uh, so, so we think EV will continue to be invaluable, right? There, there are a lot Sorry, of... just, can you just say that again? Yeah, so EV will continue to be invaluable, right? There, yeah. there are many... Obviously, there are, there are the points that were raised around the differences in, what, in what's covered, but um, even beyond that, something like VNB, the sensitivity tables that we, we, we rely on at the moment, I think those will, will continue to be necessary, or at least useful. Um, but the, I think the other, the other point now, looking at whether sort of IFRS will be the, the IFRS 17 will be the sil silver bullet, I think it already addresses a lot of, a lot of things. I think it will, it will change a lot. And, and just to give a sense of that, we, um, we, uh, a few months ago, we did a survey with, you know, with our sort of clients uh, mm -hmm. to get a sense of how you know, they, they view the different companies and uh, looking at things like how well you rate accounting. So how well do you rely? So when you look at headline earnings, are you confident in that? Are you confident in the, in the EV and so on? Um, and there was a huge, huge difference, right? Some, for, for some, it was yeah, exceptional, exceptionally confident, whereas for, for others, it was, it was very poor, right? Um, now, the way we read that is, is it, 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 it says one of two things, right? Because it, it was a consensus. It, was, it wasn't just one odd person saying, we don't trust this or we, we don't have it. So we read it as, you know, it's either the consensus is wrong or it's right. Now, if it's wrong, it says something, right? It says that um, the level of disclosure is weak. In other words, when we look at IFRS earnings as they are now, we cannot get a, an accurate sense of whether we can trust them. And that's where IFRS 17 comes in. But then the other possibility is also worth considering that the consensus might be right, right? And we've seen that in the past as well. And that's where you now need to think about professionalism and what the limit, limitations of APN might be. Because if the market is right to not trust you know, accounting or EV, then it says something more broadly about the profession. And, and that, so that's our, our sense. But then just um, maybe a final remark is around, um, having spoken to the different companies, we do get the sense that uh, while both um, uh, EV and IFRS will, will obviously be, uh, probably go, go forward. There is a need for consistency, right? Uh, as much alignment as possible, and that's another area where I think the, the society could, you know, could look at. 
Okay, great. Uh, I do want to leave. We've got about 10 minutes uh, still available uh, to, you know, to cover some questions and answers. Um, so I believe we've got some roving mics uh, out there. Um, okay, are there any, um, any questions anybody wants to sort of pose to our panel whilst you've got them here? Okay, I'm not seeing too many arms out there. Um. <laughs> right, okay. Got one. Sorry. Uh, I don't think I can let that bombshell that was just dropped uh, go without comment. Um, so I think I heard you say uh, that there's a widespread mistrust of uh, the numbers produced by actuaries uh, from the uh, investor community. That's quite alarming. Uh, and if so, what could we do to improve that situation. So, so I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily use the word uh, mistrust. It's just different differences in the level of confidence, and a significant difference, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, but the point here is is really which one of the two explanations is the valid one? Is it that um, there's a credible reason? Uh, to, to, to be concerned, or is it just that there's no, I mean, there's information asymmetry between those who prepare the numbers and those who use them. Now, it's just the, then a, ma a matter of sort of figure. I think it's a bit of both, um, and that's where I think, I, I, I mean, I have no, no way of commenting on how you talk to fix that. that. That's why I'm suggesting, you know, looking at, you know, maybe putting more restrictions or, I mean, I, I actually don't have a clear answer on that. that but I do think that IFRS 17 already meets, meets some of the gaps in terms of disclosure because it standardizes, right? When we look at company A, we know that it's, it's the same earnings as company B. Um, in terms of EV, that's a more difficult, uh, I think, conversation to have. But I think the point we made earlier around EV for non-covered business is, is, is another sort of important thing to think about, right? It's, if there's at least a, stand, a standard for how to think about that, uh, it would already sort of uh, address some of the concerns. Peter, I just want to add as well. So I'm almost like challenging Musa. So there's, there's, there's two questions. There's the APN, the changes to it. Are you happy that it captures this? And then there's the, so I must use the word capture, sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then there's the, <laughs> yeah, so, the, so the APN hasn't been captured. Anyway, coming back to the important question is implementation of it. So I think if the APN is liberal and it's principles based, you know, are you happy with that? And then there's the part about implementation of it, because that's when you're going to get the information asymmetry between those that have the information and those that don't have the information. So I think, you know, to almost to answer the question about the skepticism, the word you used earlier, and well, we saw a stronger word of mistrust. In my opinion, that the new APN is, is liberal, it's sound, right? <laughs> well, well done to that. And then, but to answer your question, and the question is, how do we solve the latter, which is the implementation of a well-sounded, a well-rounded framework. 
Yeah, so I mean, I mean, I, I think the APN does cover a lot of the, you know, the, the, the basis as it stands. The only gap, as, as I was saying, is just on the non-covered side. And I think there's, there's probably a, a limit to the extent to which you, you can reasonably cover that. But I, th I think at least some guidance on how to think about that might be a good idea. And um, in terms of the implementation side, I, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's a very difficult thing to think about. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have no, no clear answer for that, unfortunately. So, sorry, maybe I'll make, do you want more disclosures? Yeah, look, so I mean, actually that's a good, a good point, right? So, so one of the things, I mean, we were tossing around is whether it makes sense when, instead of just disclosing the, the EV, dis, disclose also the cash flow profile. I mean, yeah. it's not competitive information, right? Just, yeah. and that allows us to value <laughs> the thing and, and actually test whether the assumptions are reason. And it also sort of, puts more, uh, what's, what's the word, accountability to, to those who prepare the numbers because we know if the, the assumptions are, mm. are reasonable, we know what cash flow to expect in three years, yeah. adjusting for new business and other things, right? So yeah. it might just simply be a matter of better disclosures, right? Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, I wouldn't, I, th I think maybe I, misca or I mischaracterized the problem. I wouldn't say that it's a widespread yeah. mistrust. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's just uh, it some looks like it's itching to, to jump in. Um, yeah, I mean, this is something that we have been grappling on about uh, on the, the, the committee. Um, I think there's an important difference between IFRS and SAM reporting, where there are standards, you have to report them, there are certain roles and requirements uh, for actually set out in the, in, in, in the legislation um, or within companies' governance um, uh, structures. Um, EV is a little different. EV uh, is not a requirement. It's a voluntary disclosure by companies. Uh, um, and to what extent the actuary has the ability to, to influence um, something that management really uh, you know, are asking and decided to, 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 to disclose is, a, is, a, is something uh, that's difficult to, to yeah. Um, well, it's a, diff uh, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult issue to sort out yeah. uh, in terms of the, the profession's role. I think definitely um, looking at potentially you know, the non-covered business and getting more consistency, but again, that's something that I think should come from the industry. It should be an industry sort of agreement that, that, um, uh, that would drive more, more trust and more you know, comparability yeah. to, between. Yeah, it becomes a bit difficult justifying, explaining why actuaries are pining on how to, to, to value you know, certain other yeah, yeah. companies. Um, just so conscious of the, yeah, there's a question out there. So can you hear me? Yeah. I, I just want to make a, make a statement and maybe just get a comment on it. The purpose of EV, I understand a lot of it will be for, the, for management to, to manage the business. And it's been taken sometimes in a different context to be used by the markets to value companies. Let me just get a comment on that and just see how that makes it difficult to come to some sort of consistent basis between companies. Um, yes, I mean, I guess, I mean, in my understanding, the, the, the role of EVs both, right, is for management, you know, oversight and sort of monitoring shareholder value creation. But at the same time, so, so if, if that wasn't the purpose, there would be no use to disclose it. And there would probably be no, not, not much oversight from the actual society as well, because it's, it's an internal MIS tool, right? So the point that, the fact that you sort of 
present that number to the market is sort of creating the expectation, right, that this is a credible number to be used to base, to base investment decision on, right? That, that's whether it was the initial intention or not, it almost doesn't matter because that's what it's being used for, right? That, that's my sense. I don't know if other... Yeah, maybe to add to that, um, I think part of the, well, the main purpose potentially of the EV is the supplementary information that goes with it. It's really the um, explanation of what happened in a reporting period from the start to the end of a period. And um, I think a lot of the variances in terms of what, what goes with that gives a lot of information what's happening in the business. And that's the basis of a lot of discussions um, uh, between companies and uh, in the investment communities. I think it's also dangerous only to focus on one number. It's well packaged in terms of all the information that goes with it, which um, has to be viewed together, and that's very valuable. And then maybe just one, one more point on that is, is that of all of the sectors in the market, insurance is the most sort of um, a complex, right? If you look at a retail company, it's fairly simple to, to sort of do evaluation of that. You just look at sales and so on. But with insurance, you, you have no, I mean, if you look at the liability number, it tells you pretty, uh, pretty little about, even for a bank, right? If you look at the gross advances, you can actually work out the NIMS and then various things to sort of arrive at evaluation. With insurance, you can't really do that. And that's where right. EV becomes really, really crucial. Otherwise, the market is, would be very, very inefficient. Right. You know, one, just one more point. Okay, one last management, one. No analyst <laughs> yeah. will use only embedded value for making decisions. So it's one metric out of a couple of other metrics. Yes, yeah. so multiple lenses that we have available. Okay, um, I think we're basically sort of out of time, unless there are any last really burning questions. Um, okay, so I think in sort of conclusion, largely we sort of heard, you know, probably... Uh, not too much change is sort of expected locally in the market. Uh, it's an interesting sort of thought that, that that's actually slightly different to what we've seen in other sort of markets. Uh, and then also, uh, you know, despite the advancements of IFRS 17 and expectation generally, uh, that certainly components, if not all of the embedded value uh, reporting, we expect to sort of live on. Um, and um, yeah, with that, uh, I'd just like to really sort of thank uh, all of our panel members uh, for their contribution and time. Thank you very much. <clears throat>